Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, best-selling author and senior director of valuation services at CFGI, where I help my clients figure out the value of their business and intellectual property assets. If you'd like to learn more about me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, in my world, business performance and business value is measured by the numbers, but savvy leaders understand that there's usually more to the story. So welcome to Behind the Numbers, the program where we dig a little deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today I'm going behind the numbers with an attorney who works closely with business owners and entrepreneurs to help keep them out of trouble. I'm pleased to welcome Nella Bloom, who's the managing partner of Bloom & Bloom, to Behind the Numbers. Nella, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll jump in. Well, I am an attorney. I'm the managing member of Bloom & Bloom, LLC. We are a law firm based in Philadelphia. We practice in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, and we act as outside general counsel for smaller businesses. Great. So in my world, I work with a lot of businesses throughout my career. Mm -hmm. uh, privately held companies I found usually get themselves in a lot of hot water because they don't know what they don't know. Yes, absolutely. What's been your experience around that? There are a lot of business owners who they want to spend their time working on the business itself. The purpose of the business, the reason you get involved in the business is because you have a dream, whether that is to start a new restaurant or to launch a new product, whatever it may be. You don't necessarily think a lot about the mechanics behind those. So I help business owners help to try to figure out what it is they want, why they want it, and to get them to that place. Yeah, good stuff. Because if you watch Bar Rescue or Restaurant Impossible or any of those reality-based business TV shows, you see it all the time. Yes. These business owners are in trouble. Like you said, they buy a bar, for example, because they enjoy the social aspects of it, but don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. So in your role as, as general counsel, when you put on that hat, how does that differ from your other roles and responsibilities? Well, in general counsel work, what I find is I get to be that person who's on call for my clients. Um, a question I get a lot is, I got a thing in the mail, what do I do? Now that could be anything, right? That could be a tax notice, it could be a scam, it could be something where, uh, you know, some private company says, you owe XYZ taxes or you have to purchase these posters. Now, some private company isn't going to be the, the source for that, but the average business owner doesn't know that. They got into the business because they wanted to sell flowers or they wanted to manufacture something. So they call me for something like that. On, uh, other things that I do is I help with businesses' regular needs. If they have to, uh, let's say they want to start a lease for a new space, I can either create that lease or I can review what the landlord wants and help the business figure out whether the lease covers them and what it really says, because we all have heard the term triple net lease, but not a lot of people who run businesses know what that is going in unless they have a, a true business background. Yeah. Um, I do independent contractor agreements, and I can explain what the difference is between an independent contractor and an employee and what the ramification is if you classify someone as one versus the other, and what it means for your business if you do it wrong, and sort of really help a business owner figure out the practicalities so that they can make the decision about what they want to do and what's going to be best for them. Yeah, it's an educational component for sure. Yes. So when you think about that, like from inception, are you helping companies to determine whether or not they should be a corporation, for example, as opposed to an LLC? Absolutely. And there are a lot of companies or owners who say things like, I'm going to start a C corporation in Delaware. 
and they don't really know what that means, what it entails, what they have to do to maintain that Delaware uh, registration, or even why Delaware is a good idea. Yeah, why is Delaware a good idea? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. Um, so I'm licensed in Delaware, and I have love in my heart for Delaware. I think that companies think that Delaware is going to be a good option because they hear that Delaware is good for business. Well, it is. The reason that companies organize their businesses in Delaware is because Delaware has very uh, complete rules and a very robust set, case law of uh, decisions relating to corporate directors, uh, relating to intellectual property, relating to uh, business um, sort of business governance in general. And if a business is going to be a multinational corporation, if it's going to be sending products out into the marketplace, if it's going to uh, be generating a lot of intellectual capital, then maybe Delaware is a good idea. Um, your average mom and pop shop doesn't need that. What they need to do, by and large, is they need to be organized where they're going to be doing business because no matter where you organize, you're going to need to pay taxes or some sort of fees relating to business registration and relating to ongoing obligations to the state or to local governments, to the federal government. I'm not sure if the average business owner understands that just because you're organized in Delaware, if you operate somewhere else, it doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes where you operate, you do. And you may also have to pay Delaware taxes. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about taxes for a moment. In okay. my world, and um, working with some of the privately held clients throughout my career, in valuation consulting, they want to know what their business is worth. And when you look at their financial statements, what they've done is basically employed a strategy that's based upon the minimization of taxes. Mm -hmm. um, and in the valuation world, it's measured by numbers. And yes, we can make adjustments to what net income or EBITDA might look like. But mm -hmm. here they're showing a financial statement that with no adjustments that basically says they're not making money. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that dichotomy of, of tax avoidance and, and long-term planning. Well, I will begin with a caveat that I am not a tax advisor. However, I do advise businesses. If someone wants to maximize the value of their business for sale, they better show that they're earning money. Because if you want to sell your business for the highest possible amount, it makes sense to substantiate that, right? And part of the substantiation is that you show look, here are my earnings. This is how much I, this is how much the business has gained in the last X number of years. Therefore, this business is robust. It is sound. Um, minimization of taxes, while a good strategy for, to employ for someone who's going to run the business forever and may, maybe not sell, if you want to sell it, that doesn't show the greatest growth. Now, for those folks who are watching who want to learn more about you or how they can contact you, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can visit my firm's website, which is www.bloomandbloom.net, which is the word bloom, the word and, then the word bloom again, .net. Sounds good. And we've got the logo on the screen so people can see what that looks like. For those who are just listening, you heard Nella. Good enough. <laughs> um, one more, we'll call it a, a mundane block, blocking and tackling kind of a topic is around insurance. Yes. And there's all kinds of insurances. Um, talk a little bit about that. And maybe if you can, touch on the need for a cyber insurance program to the extent that you think that's valuable. Well, that's a really good question. Um, 
I'm a believer of in, in insurance. I think that insurance is really, really key to a business um, because you never know what's going to happen. A lot of times clients call me and they say, it, they don't say it in these words, but the equivalent of, how can I make sure I will never be sued? And I say, you can't. This is America. God bless America. You can sue anyone for anything at any time. Does it stick? That's the question. Insurance will protect a business or can protect a business uh, if it is going down a path of litigation. Um, and in terms of cyber insurance, this is something that I've... Uh, so we may have d discussed this off camera. My own... Um, law firm has a cyber policy. Now remember, I said that we are a two-person law firm. We still have a cyber policy. I believe very strongly that uh, cyber insurance is really necessary and cyber policies, cyber safety policies are necessary for any business. And in particular for law firms and for businesses that are taking on confidential information. Um, because if someone sends me confidential information, I want to make sure that it's not going to be held for ransom. I want to make sure that it is protected to the degree, to as far as possible. There's no such thing as full protection for anything. We all know that. Yeah, and there's liability, right, around the, the loss of information if there, you're not protected? Yes, very much so. Um, and that information could be something as simple as having your employees' social security numbers and addresses so that you can pay them. Even something like that, if stolen, may open a company up to liability. So cyber policy and good cyber um, defenses are key to a business. Let's talk about growth capital. We'll get into equity in a little bit, but I want okay. to start with debt. Um, a lot of smaller businesses are starting out. Maybe they're not able to get a bank line. Uh, where, where does a small business go to get credit? Oh. And, how do, and how do they demonstrate their credit worthiness? Sometimes they go to the bank of mom and dad. Uh. Yeah. Um, sometimes they go to the bank of personal credit cards. Um, there are, in terms of taking on debt and finding banks that are willing to lend, there are banks willing to lend to smaller companies, to less uh, financially robust companies, or to companies that don't have a long track record of financial strength and growth. Yeah, and there's a lot of alternative lenders that are out there as well. Yes. Um, where do you find most of your clients winding up if they're looking for debt capital? Um, strangely enough, a lot of my clients are self-funded. Um, oh, that's good news. It's great news. It's, I, the less um, liability my clients can take on, the happier I am, I am for them. Um, but sometimes that's not always the case. I find that, um, I have had success referring to banks that are willing to work with uh, clients that may not have a long track record. There are also alternative lending sources. Um, there are what we call in the trade cabbage loans, where it's just a little bit of money, but um, maybe that's all you need to really get things up and rolling. And what does a business owner need to demonstrate or evidence to, to get that kind of funding? Oftentimes they need to provide a personal financial statement um, showing their assets, whether those assets are jointly owned or individually owned, you know, and those could include real estate, retirement, uh, stocks, uh, and also they want to see the resume of that owner because they want to see that that owner is someone who is going to carry the company forward and is going to be a good financial risk. Gotcha. Are, are business owners 
putting their personal collateral, like their homes, for example, on the line when they're exploring these options? They could. They could. Um, Good idea or bad idea? Well, <laughs> you have to give to get. Yeah. That's the, uh, that is the essential problem of looking for money, is you have to give to get. And no matter what it is, if you need money, you will give to get. It doesn't matter if it's the bank of mom and dad and you are saddled with guilt forever and ever, or if it's a loan that you take, that the company takes on and you personally guarantee, and then the, the bank, that lender takes a lien on your home. How about giving up equity? I think that giving up equity is and can be a better option in some circumstances. Um, again, it's the lawyer answer. It all depends, doesn't it? Yeah, sure. But a lot of folks who are in the entrepreneurial space may be looking to things like Shark Tank, for example, yeah. as their guide, and they're being told on a regular basis that you don't want to give up too much, but right. they understand investors want more. Where's the middle ground with the clients you're working with? The middle ground with clients I work with is often much more close to the chest. So uh, as an example, I was general counsel to a company. They were um, creating a new product in the marketplace. It was a unique product. They had, they applied for a patent, which they ultimately got, which is great. Uh, and they needed capital. So we all, uh, some of us, us meeting me included, I, I was able to take on equity. I sweat equity in that company after a lot of disclosures, believe me, a lot of disclosures. Um, but I was able to take on sweat equity and a lot of us put in a lot of work. And then there were some money folks who were who graciously agreed to continue to put in the funds to make it so that we could increase our product, uh, maintain our insurance, and keep our uh, keep our corporate existence going. Gotcha. We have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere either. We'll be right back on behind the numbers after we pay a few bills. Choosing Medicare coverage can be a very confusing and complicated process. Help is just a phone call away, 856-226-4800. As a licensed insurance agent, I'll assist you in making an informed and confident decision on a Medicare plan that meets your needs, lifestyle, and budget. Call me today for a free, no obligation, Medicare benefits consultation, 856 226 4,800. When did you see the sign? When I needed to create a better visitor experience. Improve our workflow. Attract new customers. That's when FastSigns recommended fleet graphics. Yeah, now business is rolling in. Get started at FastSigns.com. What do I want to be when I grow up? Maybe a musician? A veterinarian? Maybe an equestrian? A mommy? Well, why not be all these things and more? Consider joining me, Dr. V, with friends and colleagues as we explore a wide range of topics together. V is for variety, here on RVN TV. Go, Richard. Oh, is that too hard for you? No, is it too hard for you? Woo, we're playing catch now. 
Oh, shit. Should you choose Rowan College at Gloucester County? Low cost. The number one nursing program in all of New Jersey. More than 70 programs of study, including selective admissions. With record enrollment. A premier partnership with Rowan University. Transfer options with numerous universities. Four-year degree options on our campus. Rowan College at Gloucester County. Now you're thinking. Add us on social media to watch bloopers, behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and more. Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Nella Bloom, who's the managing partner of the law firm of Bloom & Bloom. Nella, before the break, we were talking about uh, business owners and giving up equity. Yes. It dovetails into a topic that I see a lot in the valuation space, the buy-sell agreement. Yes. Why are they so important? Oh, they're so important. A buy-sell agreement. So if you are going, let's say that you have had the good fortune of having a very successful business and you have decided you want to sell that business and you have a ready, willing buyer. Um, it is so important to have everything ironed out about how that deal is going to take place, uh, what the conditions of sale are, uh, and to have everything tied up because let's say, for example, so a lot of times, so I do a lot of buy sell work, um, which I very much enjoy. It's really interesting work because every deal is a little bit different, but they all follow a lot of the same patterns. Um, what I have seen is that when you have payments over time or continuing obligations over time, it is so essential to have those fully delineated and written down because everybody after that wants to wiggle a little bit. So for example, about two and a half years ago, I did a transaction for, actually for a friend of mine, she was selling her business um, to a competing owner. Originally, they had wanted to, they had thought maybe they would structure the deal as a, uh, a franchise agreement, but they backed off of that and said, okay, we'll just, we'll just buy, we will essentially buy your business from you. Over time, that transaction, um, we, we spent a lot of time ironing out the details. Over time, my client was going to get paid out based on certain metrics and measures. 
I got a call from that client not six months ago. So we're talking now like two years after the sale. And my client said to me, I don't think I've been paid the right way. So-and-so is not paying me in the way that they ought to, according to the contract. Can you take a look at it and see if I've gotten this right? So I went back and looked at it. My client was absolutely correct. Uh, the seller, excuse me, the buyer was, was playing fast and loose, I think, with the metrics for how that uh, compensation was going to come through. So it is so key to have everything ironed out right away because later on, when nobody's happy again, <laughs> after everybody's finished with the deal and it's closed and everybody's shaking hands and congratulated each other, they look back at the document and they say, well, I'm not happy with how things are working out. Let's see what it says. That's interesting because with the buy-sell, you're starting with two things in mind at least. One, that when you enter into these things, everybody's friends. Mm. And when you get to the point where you need to actually rely on the buy-sell, they may or may not be friendly. Uh, And you're starting with the end in mind, which is a, a difficult spot for a business owner to conceptualize. Talk a little bit about that. It is, you know, so I, as part of my career, I did some litigation. And I think that it has shaped the way that I see not just this agreement, but all agreements, because I have to keep worst case scenarios in in mind. I know a lot of lawyers do that. I'm one of them. Um, It is my job at the beginning when everybody's friends, when everybody's happy to make sure that if we if something is key, it has to be in the agreement. Even if you don't think it will be an issue, it has to be in the agreement especially if you don't think it's an issue, because if it's not an issue, why not put it in the agreement? Um, things like timing of payments, method of payments, if they're going to accept PayPal. You know why that's important, of course. Tell me. Well, PayPal, because it's connected c- to credit cards, it will deduct off the credit card fee. So if you were to pay me by PayPal, I wouldn't get the full amount that I'm owed. Uh-huh because the credit card fee would come off of the top. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So in, in my world, in dealing with uh, buy-sell agreements, I, I've noticed and made a couple observations where some business owners have gotten themselves in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, around valuation, of course, right? Yes. So uh, one of them is relying on book value as a proxy for fair market value, and it's not. <laughs> uh, there, there's definite differences. And then for yeah. those who think that they're buttoning things down a little bit more, they may say in the agreement, we agree that we're going to sell the business for five times earnings or five times EBITDA. And that 5x multiple may or may not be the right multiple the day that they go into the agreement, may or may not be the right multiple by the time they need to use the agreement, and they can certainly manipulate earnings and EBITDA along the way. Yeah. So. What have you seen? What's been your experience in terms of how business owners plan for that future exit in the buy-sell around the valuation issue? I think that, look, it's not my place to say what a business is worth. That's why we have you. Um, And it's not my place to tell people that the deal that they've made is bad. It's my place to say, if that's the deal you have, let's make sure that there is as little wiggle room as possible. Let's make sure that we have an, if we have a solid figure, that's the best. That's the best because you already, you always know how much the business is being sold for. Yeah. Fair enough. If uh, viewers want to get in contact with you, Nella, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can visit my website, which is www.bloomandbloom.net, which is bloom, B-L-O-O-M, and A-N-D, 
Bloom, B-L-O-O-M.net. Let's take this discussion around exit just a little bit further. Now let's just talk about the exit to a non-partner, non-family member. Where and when do business owners start to think about that long-term plan? Um, do you mean in terms of, of exiting as one of the equity owners in a yes, business? Yes, they're not going to be selling to a partner as a part of a buy-sell, uh -huh. and maybe there's no family in the business to leave the business to. That is where you need a very solid agreement, whether it's a shareholder's agreement or operating agreement, at the very beginning when you start up the business. What I think is really important is when you start a business, again, this is the time that everybody's happy. It's like your prenup. So yeah. everybody wants to get married. They all go in. They have this shareholders agreement, they have this uh, partners agreement, operating agreement, whatever, depending on the structure of the business. Um, in that agreement, it should address how someone leaves and what the metric is to determine the value of that person leaving. Um, sometimes what I find useful is to have in those agreements that if someone does, if an owner does something that harms the business, whether they have committed a crime, they have been uh, accused of a crime of that is really bad, so bad that it affects the business value and nobody wants to be seen with that person, um, whether they have stolen from the business, things like that, yeah. that, they, that those people get bought out at a really minimal price. Um, but beyond that, there are a lot of considerations to determine the, what the value is of the portion that the person will be ultimately compensated for. And that would apply not, not even just if the person was voluntarily leaving the business, but also if they die or if they become incapacitated. Because that is a stage at which you don't want someone's kids running that person's share of the business. You want to instead make the family whole. You want to make sure that that person's heirs or family get the value that that person has put into the business. Yeah, that's a really great point because most people are thinking on the positive aspect around an exit, but they don't necessarily contemplate those other alternative disastrous type of scenarios right. uh, like illness and so forth that you just alluded to. I, I think we only have a couple of minutes left in the program. So in your experience, Nella, is there a short list or long list of the, the things that our audience should be looking out for that have gotten your clients in trouble over the years that they may be able to avoid? Well, yes. Um, the, the top two, I think, are number one, not understanding what your obligations are as a business owner going forward. And number two, not listening to your experts. So let's tackle the second first. Okay. If your accountant says, this is what you should do, do it. <laughs> you know, if this is what your lawyer says you should do, maybe you should do it. Right, it sounds simple, but why, why aren't they taking that advice? I think a lot of people think that they know better or they haven't, they look to professionals for a blessing of what they want to do. Um, I have run into that issue on several occasions, which is I want to do X, Y, Z, tell me I can. And I say, no. And they say, well, you're my lawyer. You, why can't I do it? And I say, because it's really bad idea. Here's what could happen if you do it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. So, and a lot of times they're probably getting advice from other people in their network, so to speak, who may not be as well informed. Or who, yes, and have done that thing that they so desperately want to do and have not thought fully about the ramifications or possibly their situation is different because... 
you know, if if so and so's in the flower business and so and so other guys in the flower business, that's in the same business, but they could be completely different, different ownership structures, different locations, different inventory, uh, different mold eating the flowers. Um, so that's that's the second issue. And the first is not understanding what their obligations are going forward. Uh, states require uh, different states require different things for a business, whether it is a uh, an annual report be filed every year and a fee be paid or if it is state specific tax obligation that has to be paid every year and calculated differently every year, whether it is that. Um, People who have uh, businesses have to, who are the owners, have to hold aside sales taxes or uh, employment taxes. Those are trust fund taxes and can actually, uh, the business owner can be liable him or herself for those. Whatever it is, they, the business owner really has to understand that when you form this business, it's not just, I've got it. That's the end. Yeah, really great advice. Now, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, time does fly here on Behind the Numbers, but I want to thank you. Today our guest was Nella Bloom, the managing partner of the law firm Bloom & Bloom, and we're talking about all things that get business owners in trouble. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.